0: Welcome to Sales in the Subscription Economy, Season 1, Episode 1. I'm Amanda Northcutt of SubscriptionCoach.com, and my guest today is Aaron Durando, Head of Sales at Follow Up Boss. Follow Up Boss makes real estate lead conversion and sales follow up more efficient and automated, resulting in real estate professionals making more sales and having the capacity to grow their business in a calm and organized way. Follow Up Boss enables agents to deliver an incredible customer experience at the speed and volume that today's real estate businesses require. Aaron, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, Amanda, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, we're excited for you to share your sales wisdom with us today. Let's dive into the the twelve questions. First, tell us a little bit about your sales career, where you've been, how you got to where you are now, and a bit about Follow Up Boss yeah
1: absolutely. Um, so I guess my entire career has been in one way or another related to sales. Uh, I actually started my first uh, real sales role was uh, in college, I was selling newspaper advertising, um, which i I guess I parlayed into landing uh, a sales role at Google, which was uh, really um, you know, a lot of chance and luck and turned out to be one of the you know best experiences I could have had. I think the the biggest thing I learned there was, more so from the folks that I I was working around than anything Uh, we were working um, selling at the time was called Google apps for business. It it now rolls under their cloud suite, essentially selling the G suite um, Mm -hmm. suite of uh, software and, when I started, there were a cohort of us, the new college grads that got hired, I think, as an experiment to see if they could <laughs> hire new college grads and turn them into productive sales folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so half of the team were brand new fresh head of school folks, and the other half were seasoned veteran sales folks and um, I think having that exposure and the willingness and just the the great people that were part of that team helped me sort of fast track my my sales acumen so Really, really loved the time there. Google was a great place to work. Uh, Towards the end of my stint, I did get to transition to uh, an account management role. We were sort of testing it out as a function within uh, our organization. And so uh, a handful of us from the sales side got to go over and test out some experiments. And um, I spent about a year doing account management with uh, essentially more of an onboarding role, you know, new, new signed up account management, which was a lot of fun. Mm. Um, From there, I I moved to a company called Ampush doing mobile first social advertising. Um, And that was a great experience. Uh, I came in at an interesting time, they um, had taken some funding in the form of like a a partial uh, sell. And there was some contingencies there around that deal, which ultimately led to them sort of restructuring the company. So um, about six months in, uh, most of the sales organization was uh, eliminated and they moved into sort of having executives run business relationships. So um, that was uh, a good learning experience, I think coming mm-hmm. out of Google to, to have that. Um, and then from there I moved to a company called Duda, which was, um, it's a, a website building software uh, designed for agencies um, and sort of folks building websites on behalf of customers. So it was a white label solution. You could really um, come in and, and make it part of uh suite of solutions you had as an advertising company or just Hmm. a web design firm Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: and had a a really great experience there. Um, Love working uh, as part of that team. And then that's actually where I got my first taste of remote work. So when I started, I was based in the Bay Area um, and Duda was based out of Palo Alto. So I was working in that office. My wife took an opportunity to run a sales uh, team. Um, actually a sales organization for a a specialty coffee company out of Denver. So we made the move to Colorado and in so doing due to let me begin working remotely. Um, So that was my first taste of it. And uh, uh, I got to say, after doing the commute from, san francisco to the south bay and spending you know 90 minutes each way every day mm-hmm. um i i didn't realize <laughs> what kind of world i was living in until I, <laughs> I i took the commute from you know sort of my bedroom across the hallway into my office right um and so from there it was hard to go back which which led me um to follow up boss which is where i am now uh they had a position open for a head of sales role. Um, the remote aspect was uh, really appealing. The other thing that really drew me to follow up awesome aside from the interactions with the people was that they were a bootstrap company. Um, yes. And that was something I, I really was was looking for, you know, a company that had the the autonomy to make the decisions um, that were based around growing the company um, for the the pure i guess in my sense of of reasoning the more pure reasons of uh, growing the company not necessarily around sort of hitting benchmarks from investors but being able to make decisions based on health of the company and growing with everyone involved so
0: and customers um,
1: exactly yeah and that's (laughs) that's been it's been an amazing experience i'm about 18 months into the role here um basically got to build the, the sales team from the ground up um and all in all follow boss has been great you know we're uh a real estate focused CRM um, and business management platform. So we're, we're focusing on in, uh, an industry that's interesting right now with real estate. Um, it's, it's actually doing a lot better than I think folks would imagine with everything that's going on. Um, and really it's been, it's been interesting to see how resilient um, real estate professionals are mm. in their ability to take on the challenges that are happening now, um, both from a, a, you know, a business planning standpoint, but also just in their, their mindset and their approach to things. It's its really a, a unique group of folks that we get to serve day in and day out.
0: That's awesome. Um, what an amazing journey and what a score getting to work at Google so early in your career. Um, I doubt that as much as was as much luck as you say, but um, you've, you've obviously got some serious sales chops, uh, but what a cool opportunity. I'm a little jealous of that. That's really neat.
1: Yeah. I, I certainly did not understand uh, the, prov- the privilege that was uh, having the ability to start my career at Google while I was in it. Um, I look back on it fondly now, and I, I know I learned a lot and appreciated it a lot. Um, but yeah, you know, it's one of those things. You know, you don't you don't realize how good it is because I didn't have a whole lot of experience to to weigh it against.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure you've kind of parlayed all that knowledge into every role you've had since. And that's one of the reasons I was so excited to interview he- you for our first episode. Um, I know you've got a lot of wisdom to share. So uh, moving into our questions, what sources do you rely on to stay up to date on the sales and sales management profession? And that could be books, blogs, podcasts, conferences, networking groups, anything.
1: Yeah, I do. I, I read a lot. So I, I, I focus, I try to make a lot of time dedicated to reading. Um, you know, I I sort of, uh, embody the, um, if you're familiar with this sort of the Hal Elrod miracle morning, I read that book, um, and thought it was a bunch of hooey. And then I, <laughs> I put it into action and was like, okay, this, this, this has some merit behind it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I start my mornings early. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually, uh, I'm out of bed by five thirty, and I, I have my routine and a big part of that is, is reading. Uh, I focus that part of my day, usually around reading a book of some sort. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, balance things out. I, I am a, a pretty voracious fiction reader. So, uh, I do, I do enjoy a lot of sci-fi and, and things like that, but I also try to balance out and have some uh, business-based text in there. Um, outside of that, I think, uh, I read, there's several blogs I follow. Um, you know, uh, I read Gary V's blog, uh, sales hacker, um, predictable mm-hmm. revenue. I'm also on a few mailing lists. Uh, I think there's actually some really great content coming out of some other SaaS companies in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of folks like outreach.io, um, Gong, you know, they're really, they're packaging a lot of information that they're learning from their user base and, and making it really useful and actionable. So I, I appreciate all that. And then the other thing I do is, uh, I try to stay up on the real estate industry specifically. So there's a few thought leaders in that space, um, coaches and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Folks like Tom Ferry, Brian Buffini, um, Gary Keller, you know, big names in the space that uh, I think it's incumbent upon us as salespeople to you know, not only understand our own product, but to really understand the industry of our customer and you know, we're we're focused on being, you know, an advisor uh, within our sales role. So uh, you know, I myself do that as well as encourage and uh at times mandate that my yeah. team stay up on these
0: things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that you're a book nerd. I am too. And have only recently started admitting that and I feel like to others, but, um, people ask how, how I get through so many books uh, a year. I think I'm on my 24th or 25th of the calendar year and I spend my first and last hour of the day reading and hopefully some time in between. Um, so tell me what your favorite business books are.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I actually, I, <laughs> it's probably a recency bias, but, um, I really, really resonated with uh, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. Mm. Um, It actually was recommended to me by someone who recently joined my team um, and her and I were having a conversation. Uh, And I was just talking to her about sort of my philosophy around, you know, leadership in general and sales leadership. And uh, she was like, have you ever read this book? And I was like, no, I've never heard of it. She's like, oh, wow, because it it sounds like that's what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, And so I read through it and I just, I learned it, it really helped me put a lot of shape to a lot of ideas and things I've been resonating on. So, uh, that, that is one that just sticks out in my mind. I think her approach to leadership is one that, um, is, is being more uh, embodied within uh, business these days, but is one, I think that as we continue to evolve and especially in sales leadership is going to be something really important, you know, around the idea of empathy and you know, being vulnerable and, and showing that you care as a strength rather than seeing those as weaknesses.
0: Uh, That's a great answer. Any others?
1: Yeah, I think uh, a couple other books that stick out that aren't necessarily, I guess, business texts. uh, One that I've read a couple times is um, "The Paradox of Choice." Uh, Mm -hmm. It just uh, it's it came out in the early two thousands, but it's just an in depth study about how in this modern world we're inundated with choice um, and too much of it, and how that can be crippling. Uh, And it helped me one understand a lot of areas in which I feel like I can't make a decision because there's too many options out there and, and how I can have uh, you know different, different sort of emotions tied to those choices. Um, and so that's one I think I also was able to pull a lot of that into the idea of how you approach sales. Um, you know, keeping it concise, driving Absolutely. one clear message through everything, because ultimately, you know, if you're providing 10 different choices within your own product and they're evaluating you against four other solutions, a lot of times you'll put that uh, you know, analysis paralysis into action.
0: Totally. Yes. The last,
1: the last book I recommend to everyone um, is uh, the book called Zen and the Art of Archery. It's sort of the original Zen and the Art of book. Um, I stumbled across it in college and it, you know, I guess it's cliche to say, but it sort of did change. It changed my life and how I approach things and the idea of sort of mastery and it's based around a lot of like mechanical mastery and they use archery as the um, Japanese archery as the methodology but um, it really it it stresses a lot of things um, that I think are really important and um, we lose a lot of balance in life with how accessible all this information and how everything's always lighting up and there's red dots on every app on your phone and this can kind of be a way to Learn to approach things in a, in a different way, and you know, understand that you you want to get to the point where you, it's it's second nature, it's muscle memory, it's it's something that you you practice over and over again until the point that you've mastered it, so that it's no longer something you're doing; it is it's a part of what you are.
0: All right, that's awesome. I'm going to have to add that and um, that Brene Brown book to my uh, Amazon wish list. I read Rising Strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year and watched her TED talk and she does have a lot of really, really awesome things to say. So those yeah. are great recommendations. Thanks, Aaron. Um, all right. Have you found running a sales team in a recurring revenue organization different than a traditional one-time transaction sale and why or why not?
1: I got to tell you, I almost all of my experience has been in uh, you know a recurring revenue model. So mm-hmm. I don't have a ton to juxtapose it against. Mm-hmm. That said, I think if you look at a lot of business text and specifically sales text, uh, all of that, and for the most part, the majority of it is geared towards um, that more one-time transaction type sale. So yeah. I think there's a lot of great knowledge there and a lot to be learned. Um, where I do think it is different is um, I think people will look sometimes at the recurring revenue model as more transactional um, because you're sort of doing in a lot of cases, a higher volume, if not a higher volume, um, you're sort of, uh, having to move on. And so a lot of times you don't necessarily get to maintain a deal as long or you have to sort of move on to the next one. Um, and what I, what I've learned is I think more, it's interesting cause you have to just be, you have to build as deep of a relationship as you would with that one time, sale that you're sort of building a longer sales cycle over, but you have to do it in a shorter time. And so it really, it takes a lot of, um, I think deep listening and understanding and really that discovery phase needs to be extremely exact because you're not getting to expand that discovery phase over multiple calls, or you're not getting to sort of build it out to have one reason um, to purchase And then retain, you have to sort of build the case that, hey, here's the one reason right now that you should make the decision to go with us. But you also have to be feeding into the idea of why on an ongoing basis you should be making that decision month over month.
0: Yeah, delivering that ongoing value. Okay, that's great. Um, And and we are recording this in the time of uh, coronavirus. So Mm -hmm. in light of that, I have a couple of questions um, about that. So what changes to your projections, strategy, sales tactics, or anything else um, have you guys made in light of the economic challenges we're all experiencing um, brought on by COVID-19?
1: Yeah, you know, I think generally we're seeing a a constriction of the economy. So that's, that's going to change projections almost entirely across the board. Mm-hmm. I think for some folks like, uh, zoom, you probably see those projections going, um, in the opposite direction of, uh, some other companies. But I think for, for us, um, you know, we do, we've had a, a little bit of a slowdown, um, which is understandable. You know, the, the area where we see the most is with, um, our solo users. So our single agents, they're the most vulnerable. They don't have a mm. team structure around them. So, mm-hmm. um, we've seen a bit of a slowdown there generally. Um, uh, it's funny the real estate companies typically are used to working in ebbs and flows of the economy. and so in terms of businesses they actually typically have a longer runway built in than most businesses. Um, so we do have that I think built into our customer base, which is nice. Um, in terms of strategy and sales tactics, uh, I think we're we're not changing really much at all. What we're trying to do is just double down on what we've been doing and so you know we're we're not a a gimmicky type of company. Uh, Mm -hmm. We don't actually, we've never run promotions or discounts. We we sort of have a a very forward and transparent pricing structure. And you know, we want to price so that we're delivering value. You know, we want to price in a way that we can continue to build a better product, um, create a better service and have a better experience. At the same time, we're we're not trying to gouge. We're not trying to you know also have that sticker price that we know we're going to negotiate down from. Um, and so ultimately it's just uh, really focused on our customer at this point and, and knowing that, you know, being a bootstrap company and and being in a, a position where we can be able to offer guidance through this time and, and being a fully remote company, that's another area where we're, we're able to actually offer some guidance to our prospective customers. And so, Ultimately, I think we just doubled down on being um, you know, an empathetic sales team. That's That's been our approach day in, day out is to really not just to gather the information about our customer to be able to sell to them, but to truly empathize, understand what is the emotional um, feeling behind whatever decision they're trying to make or that they need to make so that we can align with that and create value for them.
0: I love that. Doubling down on empathy, relationships, value creation. Um, that's all super, super important right now. And that might be your answer to my next question. Um, given the sudden economic downturn, what's your best advice for sales teams competing in the subscription economy right now?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's a lot of what I just said. And then on top of that, I, I do think, um, it's not easy, but if you can convey a sense of, um, calm and uh, reassurance mm-hmm. you know in a lot of ways you know you sales has evolved drastically in the last five years let alone the last 20 years yeah and we we no longer occupy the position of of being the holders of the information that's unattainable right. um, our you know the internet has has taken that that role out of sales and it's also in in most cases, eliminated the, the snake oil or, you know, sleazy <laughs> car salesman tactics. They don't work anymore because if you want to know something, you can almost always go find it. And so you right. have to be that advisor. And a lot of times you have to be a, a counselor of sorts. You have to understand that what, what drives every decision is almost always based on an emotional, um, an emotional impact, whether that's a positive or negative. They felt something negative with their current system. So they're looking for something new. They heard something good from someone they trust about your system, so they're evaluating. And if you can understand where they're coming from, what they're feeling, and, um, you know, with this economic downturn and the uncertainty, there's still a good reason to continue investing in your business. You know, now's the time to sort of double down on the right things. And if you truly believe in the product you're selling, which should be a baseline for every sales professional out there, if you if you don't believe in what you're selling, you should start looking for a new job because no one's gonna believe you when you try to sell that. Yes. Um, But you know, really have faith that what you're selling is a is a a good service, and you're being an agent for good. And once you can do that, you can come in and and really deliver value for folks. And that doesn't mean that they're gonna sign the contract on that. That call, you know, you may have to extend your sales cycle. You may have to let people calm down and make it out of this time. Um, But these efforts aren't going to be for naught. They're going to remember you whenever they think about, um, you know, purchasing whatever it is you're selling. You're going to be top of that list because you went out of your way to research and, and find an article about the specific problem they're feeling, or you just simply sat there and listened to them struggle with having to work from home for the first time, not knowing mm-hmm. how to balance the, the three kids in the next room <laughs> yeah. with what they're doing right now. So yeah, it's really, really, you know, be patient. It's tough because we're all going to be on quotas. We're all going to have numbers to hit, but ultimately what you can, what you can invest in now for your future um, you know, and again, we're talking about possibly weeks, maybe months into the future. We're not, we're not talking about investing now for a payoff next year. You're going to see it soon. You just have to have the patience to know that pushing too hard at, at this time is going to alienate. You really just have to build, build that strong relationship and bring value to everything you do.
0: Yes. I like what you're saying about, uh, keep your part of that relationship building, um, A lot of what you're saying is reminding me of Seth Godin's kind of key marketing principles, but appealing to those higher level needs Mm -hmm. and um, peace of mind being probably the biggest one that is needed right now. So if you can really um, show that you are empathetic and appeal to that higher level set of needs, particularly, you know, providing some peace of mind right now. I think that'll help you stand far in a way um, above other salespeople in your competition. Um, And I, man, strong agree on uh, if you you don't believe in what you're selling, get a different job, (laughs) sell something better, stop selling junk. Um, Yeah. Strong agree on all that. That's really great. All right. How is cross departmental communication handled at Follow Up boss? For instance, how intertwined is sales with product marketing and Mm -hmm. customer success?
1: Yeah, so we're a, we're still a relatively small company. Uh, we're below the fifty employee mark. So, mm-hmm. um, in terms of, uh, I guess we can look at it at, at two levels. You know, at the sort of strategic management, um, you know, head of department level, we actually have a a quarterly meetup where we get together for about a week and plan out everything we're going to do for the quarter. Um, that that spans the gamut. We talk about everything from <clears throat> product to marketing, sales, everything. So that's really important. Um, and it is, it is something that, uh, is actually probably about a year now we've been doing it and I think has had a really big impact. Um, we sort of live by the, uh, base camp Bible. So, you know, Mm -hmm. asynchronous work is a big part of what we do, Mm -hmm. um, which is, is great. I think each, what we're learning is each, um, team or unit has to function a bit differently in that, you know, for most of our, uh, technical development side, they they don't need to be accessible day in day out. You know, they can check when they need to. On the sales side, we have our own like little private channel because mm-hmm. there's a lot of times where my reps have questions or they want me to jump on a call, and, sure. and I want to be as uh, accessible there. Um, but I think ultimately, um, there's a ton of communication. It is very asynchronous. You know, we've we've found a, a great balance there, being able to have a you know internal, um, you know, we use. Uh, a software called product board that allows us to know where things are in terms of development, know the progress. And then we also have our product team delivering, um, regular updates on what's, what's launching, what's coming out. Um, you know, in terms of our product facing teams, we're, we work really closely. Um, we're, we're pretty, pretty heavily intertwined. And Mm -hmm. ultimately it, it comes down to, we, we work off of SOP. So, um, standard operating procedures. You know, we mm-hmm. have expectations that are clear across each team, each unit. And that way we can um, hold each other accountable while also knowing who's responsible for what. Um, and it's it's something that I think will continue to evolve as we grow. Um, we've had to evolve it over the last year when we've gone from, you know, 29 to 45. Um, and as we go from wow. 45 to 80, you know, that'll be another jump where mm-hmm. it's, it's a continuous uh, evaluation. But um, I think it is a a company where I'm really proud of how, how much input as a a sales leader I get to have in product. Uh, We're really the voice of the customer is one that through our our customer facing teams, as well as, you know, our product team conducts a lot of interviews with our um, customers just to understand what are their needs.
0: How nice. Mm Does sales have access to that product roadmap?
1: We do. Yeah. So the, um, I guess there's two there's sort of the roadmap, which will be higher level. Here are the, you know, five major product uh, features. We're going to launch this quarter something like that. Mm-hmm. And then within product board um, actually the whole company has access to go in and, and view, right. We That's don't awesome. we don't want people changing sort of what's in work in progress and what's being scoped and things sure. that shouldn't, but uh, yeah, we can go in and actually see, cause that'll be the fully detailed spec. Right. So if we're launching, you know, a one version of a product that may have 20 sub projects underneath it to make it happen. And you can actually go in and see where each of those is, get updates, understand it. Um, And then within reason, you know, share that um, to a customer if need be, you know, so we can Mm -hmm. talk about, Hey, here's what's coming down the pike. yeah, Um, And then we can also, what's awesome is we also get to add folks to our betas. So we're we're able to actually get folks that are interested in features into that early testing phase so that we can get that feedback from people that'll be really engaged.
0: Mm, That's a fantastic retention strategy too. Um, That's really neat. And one week every quarter, that is awesome. And what a great foundation you guys are laying as you scale. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, these things are obviously a lot easier to put into place um, and make work in the long haul when you have 150 employees. Um, if you're doing them right now, as opposed to the other way around. So that's awesome. You guys should be writing if you're not already about um, how you guys are successfully managing a remote team. I mean, what you're saying is amazing um, and and really, really impressive. Well done. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, In what ways are individual members of your sales team held accountable for reaching their targets? For example, Uh, Is their pay structured in such a way that they are accountable in any way for customer retention at renewal time?
1: So we are essentially based on um, quotas that are based on MRR. So we're, we're selling a subscription for our product and um, we have a a 60 day rolling um, expansion and contraction or churn um, part, uh, part of that. So essentially we are responsible on the sales side for making sure customers are, are retained for that first two months. Um, we do have an onboarding team and a customer success team who are mm-hmm. actually engaging with them during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way we've baked that in is to say, you know, if a customer is churning out in that first 60-day window, it's likely they weren't a good fit customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the expectation for sales is that we retain through that. The other side is being a um, you know, a SaaS uh, platform, we, we do have expansion revenue in there simply from somebody signing up as a, a single user and then adding the team in um, in the onboarding phase. And so you do get to you know, have that expansion, which is nice that we uh, are able to have folks sign up and get going without having to get them to sort of sign up all their users you know, up front. We can actually have that come through um, okay. you know, in that, in that first couple of weeks which we found with our customer base is, is necessary because they often don't want to get their team involved until they've been able to sort of set up, um, you know, the lead flows coming in and all these different aspects of the product. That would be a distraction for uh, real estate agents who are not able to actually utilize this product until it's, it's been uh, set up through our onboarding process.
0: Gotcha. Okay. One thing that stood out to me is uh, I'm talking about customers who find an off ramp before that 60 day mark. And you guys mm-hmm. typically determine that those are not, we're not a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you doing to improve your screening process, both with, you know, marketing and sales? And you guys have, how do you incorporate like a feedback loop into that to make sure everybody's on the same page?
1: Yeah. So our, uh, our onboarding team, uh, our head of onboarding, um, Megan Porter, she's excellent. She actually does a, a report um, you know, a weekly churn report. So we know everything's going on. And so with uh, with any of these teams that are churning out, we're getting a, a glimpse as to why. And so we work with, uh, with them directly to understand, hey, this is why this wasn't a fit. Um, and if it's something that should have been found out during the sales cycle, then, you know, it, it becomes a, a learning opportunity uh, for that specific rep, or if it's something that's applicable across the whole team, we'll take a mm-hmm. time to discuss, hey guys, we need to be ensuring that we're, doing our full discovery and then of course evolving our process. Um, and so that means we we're constantly upgrading and updating our uh, sales process to understand, hey, what what are these discovery questions, you know, these pieces of information that we have to get? Should this have been something we found out during the evaluation phase that um, for whatever reason we didn't? Um, and then building that back into the process. So in nice. most cases, it, it is often a one-off thing that um, mm-hmm. we, we either didn't have a process in place that should have, or you know, we, we're lacking a bit of training for the specific rep in question. And so then I'll take that on as a, a learning opportunity and, and coach them up on that. Um, if it is a, a bigger you know, weakness where, hey, you did this, uh, you, know, you overlooked this piece, or perhaps you know, should have known that this wasn't going to be a good fit. That then also is just another learning opportunity for that rep, you know, and, and the way I look at it is uh, we'll review. So part of our, our software allows us to have um, a lot of our calls are recorded. Um, mm-hmm. So we can actually review calls together and, and dissect that yeah. on a one-on-one basis, you know, and then if, if a pattern emerges, then we'll, we'll address that uh, with a little more, um, a little more concern.
0: That makes sense. All right. How do you coach your sales team up on properly setting expectations for recurring revenue customers? You know, those who are continuing to make the decision to buy from you month after month, year after year.
1: Yeah. I think the biggest, uh, the biggest, most important thing here is uh, accurately, authentically, and honestly representing what the product can and will do for them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think more than anything, it's, it's uh, first and foremost, we need to be Um, upfront and honest. And if there's an aspect uh, where the customer wants us to do X and the product does not have that, Mm -hmm. we don't don't try to sugarcoat or or go around that. We'd be very forthright. And um, ultimately our job is to set the right expectations so that when they get to onboarding and work with customer success, they know exactly uh, what to expect from us. And so it's It's really just based around um, making sure one that we're doing that thorough and deep discovery. We need to understand what's the main challenges, what's going on, what are you trying to achieve? because if if we don't know what their goals are, there's no way we can align the the value and expectation of that. Um, and if we can document that and make that clear,
0: yes, mm-hmm. then we're
1: empowering onboarding and customer success mm-hmm. to step in and turn this into a, a really solid customer. Um, Because again, if we, if we miss the mark, if we don't deliver on what we're supposed to be doing here, uh, we do offer an annual plan with a a discount, Mm -hmm. but the bulk of our customers are a month to month. And it's a true month to month plan. um, You know, cancel at any time uh, type of offering. So we, we do have to deliver, you know, day over day, let alone month over month to make sure that we're retaining that business.
0: Absolutely. And I love how you guys are giving your sales team such an advantage by giving them access to the product roadmap. I mean, that level of insight and and trust that you're giving to your sales team, I'm sure really comes through um, when they're talking to prospects. So that's, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: What's one to three pieces of advice you'd give other sales VPs competing in the subscription economy? And would would that be any different than what you would have said pre-coronavirus?
1: Yeah, I think number one, um, and, and this is my biggest thing above all else is, you know, trust your people. If you, if you don't trust your team, um, you know, it's going to be really hard to find success in my mind. You know, trust is that baseline. You should give trust willingly knowing that at times, uh, it's probably going to be broken. And when someone breaks that trust, it doesn't mean the relationship is ruined. It doesn't mean it's tainted it means this is an opportunity to make sure that you've set expectations correctly, re-evaluate what it is you were expecting of them and make sure that was clear and then build that relationship back up. Um, so yeah, number one, you know, above all else, you know, you have to trust your people. Um, I think number two, you know, is again, empathy first, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, if you're coming into things with the view of empathy and, uh, you know, really drawing the distinction between what empathy and sympathy are, and knowing that, uh, you know, feeling bad for somebody um, or feeling like, oh, that really sucks that you're in this position mm-hmm. is not going to help help them, you know, whether it's your team or whether it's their, your customers, isn't going to be helpful and isn't going to move the needle. You really have to understand where they're coming from, mm-hmm. make sure you're giving them everything that they need to be successful. Um, and the third, I think, would just be, you know, deliver on your promise, build your. Communications, build your talk tracks, your um, email templates. Everything you're doing needs to be built around what it is that the product you're selling truly offers. Um, and you know, if you're if you're not, if you don't believe in it, like we talked about, you're not going to be able to sell it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, if you're if you're selling people on um, you know weak, flimsy, or just flat out lies, uh, you're you're going to to fall short. And it's it's really hard um, to have a team motivated to go out there day in and day out and do the work of sales, which as, as we both know, it's not, it's not easy work. Um, you know, it, it can beat you down at times. It can be tough. You know, you hear a lot more nos than you hear yeses. <laughs> and if, if you want to have, you know, your, your soldiers out there on the front lines, you know, valiantly carrying the flag of your business into battle, then you, you certainly need to keep them, um, you know, stocked up with the right message, with the right information mm-hmm. and, you know, building them up from the inside.
0: Yeah. Give them the tools they need. I like that. Are you guys currently in a hiring freeze?
1: We're not in a hiring freeze. Uh, so I actually have a couple open roles on my team that we're, we're bringing in, uh, resumes for, uh, we were really early in the process. So I think with the way we do hiring, um, you know, we'll sort of continue through our process because ultimately we do anticipate. You know, it's not going to be this way forever. Um, yeah. And so we're, we're sort of moving through our process and, you know, we're continuing to evaluate new candidates because we, we do see 2020 still being a great year for
0: us. Awesome. I love that you guys are not on a hiring freeze. Um, how do you guys typically source sales talent? You know, what works? What hasn't worked?
1: Yeah, I think uh, we, we have a distinct advantage um, in that we are a fully remote company. And so there's a no shortage of people interested in remote sales roles. Um, So we actually have, we drive a ton of traffic actually just through our website because we're known to be a fully remote company. Mm -hmm. Um, We also use a service called We Work Remotely. It's a you know remote working job board, Um, and through those two, we've actually had a lot of really good candidates. Um, The other one is just through you know networking. I've built up a, a pretty generous network on LinkedIn, and so. Um, I share out my post and then I have other sales leaders, um, who I know and trust that will, you know, sort of repost and, and do that for me. And I do the same for them knowing that, you know, it's, it's sort of a pay it forward thing. So yeah. I think, um, we've been blessed to, to have a ton of good talent coming to us without uh, having to put, you know, a lot of you know, money or effort into, you know, sourcing those. We, we do just get a lot of, uh, you know, demand intrinsically. Of-
0: that's awesome. Do you guys have any secret sauce you're willing to share on how you assess candidates, both for skills and cultural fit?
1: Yeah, I think uh, the process has evolved a bit, um, you know, as we've continued to grow. When I first came in, we had a, we would do a, a sort of a committee based hiring where it was the heads of our marketing support, sales and onboarding, uh, customer success teams all got together and interviewed every candidate for a customer facing role. Mm-hmm. Um, we've since had to hire more people and there's more people to be managed. So we've, right. we've pulled back on that a bit. Um, and each independent, uh, each independent uh, team lead gets to take that process on. Uh, we've involved the actual, uh, folks on those teams a lot more in the process, uh, which has been really good to sort of get, get one buy-in from the team and lets them feel like they are part of this decision and in, in deciding who gets to be day in and day out the people they interface with. But it also, um can help you see any sort of blind spots. Um, I'm by no means think I'm, uh, infallible. So I do like to sort of have people poke and prod and question my decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the interesting things that's worked for us being remote, um, we actually do a like recorded video. Um, so we basically have like three or four questions we'll send out and have folks record a video response, um, rather than having them necessarily do like a written response. I think it gets a it gets them to sort of show a bit more of their character and, and who they are in that response. And that's actually nice. been really, really helpful to sort of find out who are the people that are, are bringing energy to this, who, who seems excited about it. Um, and then, you know, personally from a hiring perspective, I think uh, this is generally true across our company, but uh, you know, in my mind, I, I don't necessarily need someone who's done the exact job. Um, and you know, somebody who's going to come in and just plug in and be immediately able to be successful because they've done it exactly before. Um, I'm looking a lot at potential. Um, and the other thing that is just vitally crucial to my hiring process is just finding folks that have curiosity. Um, I think in sales, especially, if you, if you don't have a really strong sense of curiosity, mm-hmm. you're going to struggle to be successful because day in, day out, your job is to be curious about other people, yeah. find out what makes them tick, how their business works. And, you know, there's different ways to poke and prod and get that from folks. But um, I think one of the questions we, we ask a lot is, you know, what's something you've learned recently? We usually say in like the last 30 days, what is something you've learned? Um, and really all we want to know is like, are you continually seeking out knowledge? Right. Are you trying mm-hmm. to evolve, grow? Um, you know, it doesn't have to be, I, I actually like what it's not something like, oh, I read this sales book and it was this, you know, I like, I someone's like, oh, I've been watching YouTube videos and I now know how to like weave a basket. Like that's the kind of like interesting <laughs> things that you can show sort of a, a range of skills, a range of interests and a strong curiosity to understand you know, what, what makes things work.
0: Yeah. I mean, as salespeople, we're basically professional question askers. So mm-hmm. that's a really, really important point. I like how you guys test for that. And also want to encourage people to go to follow up Boss's website and watch your video. Um, I can't remember what page it's on exactly, but something about, you know, work for us type page. And you mm-hmm. guys have a video of, I assume, you know, one of those quarterly gatherings or annual gathering with the whole team or something like that. And yep. I feel like it communicates your culture really, really effectively. It sets expectations well. Um, shows that everybody is a real human. I think it shows a culture of you know we're, we're casual, we're regular people, but we're also serious and we're curious um, and we're go-getters. So um, nice job on that. I think that's a really important part of the hiring process and for people to get some insight on what that looks like, especially for a fully remote team where that's a little bit harder to grasp. So good job. Thanks. Um, okay, last question. I'm a firm believer that sales makes the world go round and we have a tremendous responsibility to get the economy moving again. How can we speed up that process?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, put people first. Always, always know that uh, whenever, whenever somebody's inquiring, um, you know, if, you're, if you have a, an inbound lead, that's somebody, one, right now that should be extremely precious to you because not only are they taking time during this strenuous and, and stressful uh, period we're in to evaluate what it is you're offering them. Uh, it also means they're probably a really solid uh, prospect because they're in a position to be able to do so. Um, and so I, I think more than anything, we need to stay calm. Uh, we need to sort of be the calming force within this. You know, If we're anxious and, and driving things um, with too much pressure or, or using tactics that are forcing people that are already on unstable ground or feeling unstable at least – to mm-hmm. make decisions that they're not ready for. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to, to alienate them, not just from ourselves, but to turn away from any surface possibly. Um, and so just remembering that what, you know, the the seeds we're sowing now will, will certainly, um, you know, reap great benefits down the line. And, you know, if we're, if we're focused on people before profit in this time, um, not only will we weather this storm, make it through, uh, we'll be in a position uh, generally to come out the other side really, really successful and, and ready to, you know, help things grow because inevitably right now things are slowing down. Uh, people are, you know, sort of turning into themselves. They're, they're fearful you know, purse strings are tightening. Mm-hmm. Um, that is going to change. And if we, if we've done all of the, the right things in the interim that those um, those doors are going to open up a lot faster and the, the economy is going to start flowing um, a lot more normally with, uh, with less delay if, if we've created the, the space for people to feel the stress they're having right now in order to um, come out of it uh, a little little more optimistic.
0: Yes, people before profit, well put. Thank you again to Aaron Durando of Follow Up Boss for his insights and advice today. You can check out the show notes on subscriptioncoach.com slash podcast and sign up for my email newsletter where I read, curate, and summarize the best content on subscription sales and sales team recruiting on the web every week on subscriptioncoach.com. We'll see you next time on Sales in the Subscription Economy.